today we have our first repeat guest back on Jason Hardrath. And if you don't know Jason, you should, but here's a little bit of a background. Uh, basically, he went on a mission to become the very first person to hold 100 FKTs, otherwise known as the fastest known times. One of those FKTs includes climbing all of 100 Washington State Bulgers, which are the highest mountains in Washington State, which we didn't even talk about on the last podcast, and I would love to talk about that because I'm fascinated with that. And then, yeah, he completed the Rocky Mountain Grand Slam this year and, you know, a whole bunch of other things. But what we're here to talk about today is we are here to talk about the infinity loop around Pico de Orzaba. Did I pronounce that right? Uh, you got really close. Pico de Orzaba. Yeah. Okay. And I might not be saying it completely right either. I mean, okay. you know. So what I'm going to say probably for me is PDO. That's what I'm going to say probably Works. from now on. So PDO, okay, which is Mexico's tallest volcano at 18 at 18,491 feet above sea level. So that's what we're here to talk about. A documentary just came out about this called Journey to Infinity. And yeah, we're here to have one of the main characters on. So how's it going, Jason? Uh, I can't complain, Chad. I can't complain at all. It's uh, great to be able to chat with you. Great to be able to uh, cut some time out at the end of the uh the school day here so yeah yeah as you can see if you're watching on video he's got all of his all of his uh you know track and number bib numbers all behind him in his office there just getting back in from ending the school day so now he's jumping on a podcast with me so we're gonna try to make this as easy as we can on him so okay so if, if nobody has has watched journey to infinity you definitely got to watch it it was a really really captivating film uh filmed by Kevin Asa, I believe his name is, and really good cinematography. There was also some really good tension in it, which I want to explore a little bit later on in this interview. But the first thing that I want to ask really is what inspired you and Nathan Longhurst, who was Jason's partner in the film, to go after the Infinity Loop on PDO? And what, what was like, like, yeah, what was, what was the process behind that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Actually, this goes this goes way back to the way back. Um, back in back in 2019, uh, I did the Rainier Infinity Loop, uh, which is the first established Infinity Loop on Mount Rainier in in Washington State. Um, it was like a huge breakthrough FKT for me. And right from the get go, I ended up getting on the Adventure Sport podcast. People can go try to hunt down that episode. It was like episode 604 or something on his podcast. Um, and Mason asked me at the end, you know, the age old question, what's next? And I was like, uh, man, yeah. I want to take, I want to take the infinity loop to bigger overseas, mm. uh, volcanoes. Cause I'd done some overseas climbing already. Mm -hmm. And so that was when the seed was planted. It was like, uh, I know I want to go and have this experience on in bigger, bigger places, bigger volcanoes, bigger freestanding peaks. Yeah. Um, so that, that was where the seeds got planted. Then of course covid broke out um so all international travel just got put in the garbage can for a while right um but then yeah kind of finished up with as you alluded to in the intro this big push for 100 fkts and then the 100 peaks 100 tallest peaks of the state of washington the bulgers list um and there was this question of like well what's on the table now and international travel had opened back up and seemed reasonable that I wasn't going to end up missing teaching mm -hmm. because of being stuck in a foreign country. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, let's, um, let's go see if this is possible. Let's go see if I can hang at 18,491 feet. 
um, and pull off a 40 miler where the lowest point you reach is 11,000 feet. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that. I mean, the seeds were kind of laid a long time ago and, and part of Nathan and my relationship as well is actually around the Rainier infinity loop. He wanted to, mm. he, when he originally reached out with me or reached out to me, it was, Hey, I want to try to take down your record on the Rainier infinity loop. So he actually reached out to try to take down my FKT, my speed record on it. And we chatted a bit and it, he had a great plan and he had a great resume. He seemed really strong and competent. Um, you know, he's 21 at the time. So like you always are a little bit hesitant, like, okay, does this person know what they're signing up for with like the glacier travel and all that? And yeah, it's just like everything checked out. I was like, dude, you should go for this. I think you could, I think you could be the first person to take it sub two days. Um, you should go for it. But then he asks, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm going to do this thing called the Bulgers list. Da, da, da. He's like, whoa, could I come join you for the first days of that? That sounds like perfect training to beat your record. Um, and he ended up loving it so much when we were out there climbing together that he climbed 65 of the peaks with me and then went on to become the second person to climb them in a season. And the youngest person at the time, just this year, his youngest record got beat um, by, by another mentee athlete of both of ours. Um, named Andrew, but yeah, just this wild set of overlapping stories. Um, needless to say, when I put the offer on the table, like, Hey dude, do you want to come and establish the first international infinity loop on the tallest volcano of North America? He was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and I mean, that kind of ties a little bit into some of the tension that happens in the film. If, if people have not watched it yet, spoiler alert, like you might want to just press pause scroll down into the the, the or the, the the description find the link to the mm -hmm. film watch the film um but where a lot of the tension in the film happens is that you know now he's 23 he's kind of you know getting toward the top of his game um getting to his prime you know whereas his climbing is really strong his running fitness insanely strong he's an amazing skier like no matter what you put him to in the mountains he's like top tier um and I was coming into this thing off of some health problems. I was coming into this thing knowing that I have a predisposition for high-altitude pulmonary edema, swelling of the lungs at elevation. Um, I'd had to self-evacuate from the mountain um, on a solo attempt for, for this infinity loop in December of 2022. Um, and so it was like two very different starting points for stepping into this endeavor. And it just led to this like, interesting tension because you know also on top of that is you know i've done my boulders record i've done the you know these big things already where i don't need every last drop to be squeezed out of pico de orizaba as far as my own personal performance to be pleased with it like just establishing it and leaving it as a a project that now other people can go believe they can do is kind of enough for me not that i won't still mm -hmm. have my own personal vision quests that I want to draw every last drop out of my own body. But on this one, it was like, no, this one's about establishing it. This one's mm -hmm. about showing it can be done on these bigger volcanoes and starting this, this journey of potentially doing the volcanic seven summits all in infinity loops. And he'd never been at altitude or elevation before. And he hasn't quite yet put together what he feels is his masterpiece work. And so there's also this like searching for self-testing on his end that he's still very much in the throes of. And I didn't feel the deep need for that. It's like, I kind of knew, I kind of know what I'm capable of in the mountains and I've kind of, you know, tested those limits and, um, being in a situation where I was battling with a medically significant 
um, impediment that could land me in the hospital or worse. Um, it was like, no, this one's one I want to, like, if I feel the symptoms, I want to play a conservative and, and be smart about it and finish. Um, so yeah, this tension breaks out in the second lap over the mountain as darkness sets in where he's just skittish and eager to go and wanting to just like rip up the mountain the second time. Right. Just no, no, no conservation whatsoever. No, no safeties in place. Just kick the training wheels off and, and rage. And I'm like, no, I'm going to keep my heart rate down. I don't want to trigger until I'm over the mountain the second time over that 18,491 foot point. The second time I'm not going to do anything that risks that this becomes a medical evacuation. Um, you know, once, once we're raging down the other side and it's going to be, you know, 14,000 feet back around to the finish and then catch the next ride in the morning, then it's like, I'm willing to, you know, write some fatter checks and see what happens. But in those moments, uh, starting that second climb, yeah, just things started to pull apart at the seams. Um, and you get to see that kind of struggle conveyed in the film for sure. Yeah, I was I was super stoked that he left that in the film and had that part of the story. One of the things I kind of wanted to ask, and you don't have to share if you don't want to, but you guys talked about like there were some words and stuff exchanged in that nighttime where both of you guys kind of got emotional with it. Not only with it being you guys are fatigued, it's dark, but now you're having to deal with this like partner tension. How was it that you guys ended up resolving that and like how long did that process take for you guys absolutely i mean it was a slow build into it i mean i started voicing because i've given myself hate really bad in the past um to the degree that it was like stand awake all night bending over coughing the fluid out of my lungs because if i tried to just you know lay down to go to sleep uh, it felt like i was drowning within like mm -hmm. you know 35 seconds and so, like, I, I have this, like, almost PTSD from, like, spending an entire night in just pure suffering, coughing the fluid out of my lungs for my life. Um, and so there's this anxiety and PTSD a little bit, like, that it was playing sure. at the edges of my psyche. Well, not even at the edges. Like, I was having to actively uh, block it out and keep moving forward and try to observe in an objective way what, what my sort of preclinical symptoms were actually like. And not sort of let the fear and the anxiety overtake me. And so I'm like managing all of this while he's just like, let's rage. Um, and so when he started like pulling away from me and like hopping up the trail and then, um, you know, there's definitely just this like, like, you know, it would be really easy to interpret as just straight disrespectful, like the way he was mm -hmm. behaving, you know, like hopping up and down on the trail and running circles and and different things as I would, you know, just move at my methodical pace. And, you know, I'd already been wrestling deeply with like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, because of the health problems, having like taken the chink out of my armor, like in months, months and months leading up to this, like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe it's over. Like, that's a question you ask yourself, like, well, maybe it's done. Maybe I won't get back. Like, maybe I won't figure out whatever the hell is wrong with my body. And, and it's done. Like, I won't get back to the high performance level that I was at. Um, and so like, I have that in my, you know, that, that notch in my armor already back there for months and months of trying to figure out what's going on with my health and what's off. Um, I have the hate thing where it's like right at the edge of feeling like it's going to get serious again. You know, my heart rate's higher than it should be. I'm feeling like some pain and pressure in my lungs. Uh, 
some crackling with deep exhales. Um, and so it's like you start to mix all this together. And, and what it was bringing me to is it's like, you know, maybe I'm not meant to be the guy that's out here doing this anymore. You know, in the real raw moments of it, as the darkness is setting in, like this darkness internally, that it's like, am I just a joke out here now? Am I a joke? Is he so much better than me? Is is this a demonstration of how much a real athlete is is better than me? And that me still pursuing these things is just a joke. Like I'm a joke being out here trying to establish this stuff, right? So it's like putting me in this head that is making me question the the value and validity of what I'm doing, right? So that's the mm -hmm. raw space I'm inside of. Um, and Nathan is in this space of like feeling like he's not even trying yet, right? Like he wants to go push himself to his max, max his heart rate out, go all out, you know, feel the burn. Um, and he's just not able to, right. and he's not able to go test, right? He's in this new environment. That's the key part for him is he's in this new environment. He hadn't ever been at elevations greater than what you can get in the States, um, mm -hmm. you know, 14,000 feet. And so he wanted that testing. He wanted that trial by fire and it wasn't being given to him because he was having to like stay with this partner that was moving at what to him at that point in the effort was uh, like zone one, like totally casual. Right. Um, so I finally voice like he runs up ahead. Well, actually I sent him up ahead because it was getting annoying. Um, I'm like, <laughs> go up there and wait for me. And so he goes up and when I get up there, I'm like, dude, so here's how, here's how what you're doing is making me feel. And I just lay out. It's like, I, I said to him exactly what I, what I just said to you. It's like, you know, with, based on these things and how things are going here, it's making me feel like I don't belong out here anymore, that I'm not the one that should be doing this stuff, that, that, that this, that I've, I've become like, I've lost so many steps that I'm, I'm a joke now. And then that led to him opening up about how, and like tearfully opening up about how much he feels driven to find his own expression of greatness, his own like niche, his own contribution, the thing that's like out there with Nathan Longhurst's name on it um, and how much he's seeking that. And so it was this real raw moment between the two of us just sort of opening up with where we were at, like the deepest, darkest, you know, card, hidden card um, and putting it on the table. And, you know, then he asked me, he asked um, if, if the roles were flipped, what would you do? And without missing a beat, it's like, oh, I'd carry the team. Like at this point, this version of Jason Hardrath, 34-year-old Jason Hardrath, I'll carry the team. Like, no problem. But if you'd asked 23-year-old Jason, well, he wouldn't have even, even invited anybody else out here in the first place. Like he would have been, he would have been out here yeah. solo doing exactly what you want to do, which is push with no holds barred, no one else on the line, no other souls to care about, just... 100% me testing myself, finding the outer limits of what's possible for me. And so right. I totally, I told him, it's like, I totally understand. I totally understand. But I think we need to consider how we want this memory to read for the rest of forever between the two of us, right. because I would like to have my name on this, establishing this thing. And if you choose to go ahead, you do take that away from me. Um, and you know, I'd like gone out of my way to get his trip financed for him. Um, you know, I did, there are a lot of different things where it's like, you know, it's like I brought you on this trip, like chose you because of this trust. And it's like, if you really feel like you need to go ahead and that I'm not hanging well enough, like you can go. 
Like you can make that choice, but it's worth considering like, why is it our, why are we really here? Is it just to like who, you know, made the strongest man produce the fastest time? Or did we come to finally do something together um, where both of our names go on it? Um, and it was, you know, just this wrestling through all this stuff. And the final conclusion he came to is like, yeah, no, like we're here. The higher value is to, is to be here and do it together and be partners and finish something up together. And, you know, maybe we don't do another endeavor like this in the future together. Um, maybe we're just not on the same wavelength or on the same, um, athletic levels with what we're interested in pursuing. Um, yeah, and then he went on to solo the uh, Cassine on Denali, which is completely awesome. I think he's going to be on the Climbing Majority podcast here soon to talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, so super cool for him to go have another high altitude experience where he really got to feel like he tested his um, mm -hmm. climbing skills because that's a technical ridge. Um, I think it's like 5'9", um, mixed climbing. And so he got to go have that experience he was searching for and really take himself all the way to his edges. Um but yeah, we got to like work through all that and, and wrestle, wrestle with that rod in real time. And some of that comes through in the film. Um, and then, uh, the fun part, the fun part is, I mean, you know, make the old guy feel better about himself shortly after we have this yeah. big discussion. <laughs> yeah. Best, best part of the film, dude. Uh, yeah, I love is, the uh, part. This is what everybody's, this is what everybody's going to love to hear. Um, we get to the glacier. <laughs> At about 17, 16,600, 16,700. And yeah, the wheels just come off the bus for Nathan. And I'm, <laughs> I'm finally hitting the point where it's like, okay, my heart rate's not, like, it's still not where it should be. Like, I'm still in a bad place, but we've got like 1,500 feet to the summit. Like, let's like, just I'm go. Gonna make like, it. let's get yeah, this yeah. done. Like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to get down. The faster I do this part, like, the better. Like, let's just rip. And so suddenly the rolls flip. And I'm just like dropping Nathan, just ripping away from him up this, up this glacier climb at nearly 18,000 feet. Um, and yeah, suddenly, suddenly he's in the chase and he's going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Um, and of course, like I wasn't actually going to drop him. I was just like, well, I'm in the rhythm and okay. You, you, you're the one that was, you're the one that was wanting to drop me a little while ago. So just hang, like, just let's go. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's freezing cold at the top because it's the middle of the night when we get up there. So we just like rip straight over the top and drop straight into the 3000 foot screed ascent um, and just keep the gas pedal down. And he's still just like until we got significantly lower on the mountain, he was just struggling to hang. Um, mm. So there's a little bit of redemption there and it, a little bit of a lesson, I think. Um, yeah. In you know how different would have that felt for him and would have that story read if he's like, no, I'm dropping you, dude. And then I decided to keep going and chased him down and, and caught back up or passed him, um, mm -hmm. where that partnership bond had been broken. Um, and yet we still ended up together. Um, it just wouldn't have been the same memory as if we wrestled through it the way we did, um, where that partnership bond was, was maintained, um, through the tension. And then we could work together. Uh, with that trust and camaraderie through to the finish. So. Yeah. I think it's such an important lesson for partnerships, that whole segment right there, because not only was the fact that you, you guys were, you guys had to battle through this together and then like work it out in, in, in the thick of it. But just knowing that when you are with another partner on some large objective like this, people have different lows and different highs. 
and your low could be at their high, their high could be at your low. And then like you saw that play out. Like you couldn't you couldn't script that any better. Like as what happened in the film was how you were at a low, he was at a high, then all of a sudden it literally switched places. And I think it's just a great lesson for people that are going out there with a partner to say, hey, you might feel like you could drop your partner at some points, but is that the best decision to do? And uh, maybe karma might come back at some point as well. Yes. Do you want Do you want that to be what happens to you when you're the weak link and everybody's, yes. everybody else is feeling good? Like what kind of world do you want to exist in? Um, and absolutely, and, and along with it, I think there's another lesson at large, like just life in general from this, is, you know, like Nathan, when he was supporting me on the boulders and it wasn't going to be like, it wasn't like we were sharing that record. He just wanted to come climb as many of them as he could just for fun. Like this sort of tension never came up between us, right? Mm -hmm. Cause it wasn't a situation where his skin was in the game, right? It's like the difference between when you and a bunch of friends are sitting around thinking of a really cool business idea and nobody has any skin in the game. And then you actually go into business with a friend and suddenly they treat you in a really different way because there's that like, well, my name is on this. Like it matters. Like I want a performance or I want certain things to happen. I want it to go a certain way. I want to achieve certain things. And suddenly there's this, this battle of the egos and identity and expression and direction that isn't there with a, a friend that maybe normally they're just totally chill to be around. Like there's no tension mm -hmm. whatsoever. And it's like, we face these sorts of things in all sorts of partnerships in life. And it's something we need to be aware that we're going to have to wrestle with and navigate anytime we, we step into a high stakes arena with another human being. If, if their name is going to be on it with your name, like then both people are bringing all of themselves. They're not just right. going to bring the chill laid back. I don't care version of themselves. Um, they, they might show up with a very different set of traits to a situation mm -hmm. where suddenly like, no, we're, we're, this is a partnership. Uh, right. so you've got to be ready to navigate that and be ready to bring whatever it is out of yourself that's necessary in those moments to, to navigate those situations. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I love the way you broke it down. And like I said, glad that it's in the film. People got to watch the film. Can't wait till they see that part and really, really good amount of tension there. Now, PDO. <laughs> I almost I still get I almost get PDO mixed up. Pico de Orizaba. So that was one of the volcanic seven summits. You kind of touched on this a little bit in the start of the podcast. What are the volcanic seven summits and what what was it about I think I know the answer to this question, but what was it about the volcanoes in particular that kind of drew you to them, like wanting to complete those seven summits? Absolutely. Um so the volcanic seven summits is just basically the seven summits list is the tallest mountain on each continent, right? Seven continents, seven tall mountains. Um, well, the volcanic seven summits is the tallest volcano on each continent. So it's the most global list of volcanoes. And when I fell in love with Chad Kellogg's idea for the infinity loop uh, by doing Mount Rainier, it was like, oh, I want to take this to big volcanoes overseas. And at first I thought that was just going to be like, you know, at that time, a random smattering of tall volcanoes mm -hmm. without any real rhyme right. or reason or sequence to it. Mm -hmm. But when I ran across the list of the volcanic seven summits, I was like, well, wait a minute. This is probably the most global expression 
that mm -hmm. Chad's idea could ever reach. And so why not start this extension of his vision to, to the tallest volcanoes of the world with this infinity loop idea that I love so much, this experience mm -hmm. where you climb up and over the mountain down the other side, come around, go up and over it again, and then loop around mm -hmm. the other side to draw a giant figure eight or an infinity loop for those who hadn't heard of it before. Um, man, it's just like a really compelling project. And it's like, I don't know, I always like to have silly reasons to go finally do bucket list items. You know, like people are like, oh, I wanna visit every state. Me, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do an FKT in every state. Bro, bro, real, real quick, like off of that, like that's how I visit places now is like I do a through hike through the state. Like I've never been to the East Coast. I'm going to go to do the long trail in Vermont next year. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the East Coast unless I'm doing some wild thing like that. I just feel like it immerses you so much more in the culture. Yep. But yeah, go ahead. Yep. No, I love I love having a big objective anywhere I go. And so then yeah. it's like I never really like I kind of was open to the idea of going to Antarctica, like try to make it happen. It's still an impossible right. pipe dream. I'm a school teacher. Like uh, that's more than my yearly salary to pay for one person to go. So it's like, wow. I'll have to figure a lot more things out to make a trip, you know, 70, 70 grand per person. If I want to bring a team, um, like it's absolutely a pipe dream right now, but it's like, what a compelling reason to try to figure out that pipe dream to go. Right and and have this interesting thing that nobody's done there and to go to antarctica get to visit antarctica and and try to establish an infinity loop on sidely there yeah so the dude the, just like it just opens up this like interesting world of well maybe i will end up traveling to every continent and maybe this is why and this is how i'll get it paid for if i can just <laughs> figure out how to put all that together um yeah. So yeah, if there's any anybody wealthy listening to this podcast who wants to sponsor the Volcanic exactly. Seven Summits Infinity Loop project, uh, hit me up. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Wow. So you know, coming back to Antarctica, where? Tell me a little bit more about that volcano there. That seems super crazy. So sadly, it is obviously super, super, super remote. Extreme <laughs> weather. Um, very extreme weather. Definitely gonna have to have like a really dialed team. Gonna, uh, you you have to you know, fly over there and then you get flown out on a small private plane to the base of the volcano. Um, and sadly, it's only a 14, it's only a 14 or it's only 14,000 feet. You know, it's like climbing Shasta or Rainier here in, here in the States. Um, but you're in the middle of nowhere and you're completely self-reliant. And yeah, if anything goes wrong, it's on you. Right. You know, it's, it's a very, it, you know, it's like on the one hand, it's like, oh, it's not that hard. And on the other hand, it's like, oh yeah, but you have to have all of your T's crossed and your I's dotted because if you don't and something does go wrong, the prices that you're going to pay is someone's life um, or, you know, at least mm -hmm. missing body parts. So, yeah, it's like very serious in in the extremes of the weather and like a, a, a clean execution and having contingencies. Um, but, yeah, it's only a 14,000 foot peak, so it's not like – it's not like uh, this winter I'm looking uh, – we're, we're actually tomorrow going to hop on a call and purchase plane tickets with the team. Uh, we're going to go down and do Ojos del Salado, South America's mm -hmm. tallest volcano and the tallest volcano in the world. Um, the lowest point we will reach for the 47 miles of the Endeavor is 17,190 feet. Wow. Okay. That's the plateau. Wow, dude. That's the so, plateau. So Okay. Yes. Wow. So that was one thing I was going to ask you because so Pico de Orizabo is 18 what did I say? 18,491 feet. Okay. So 
coming from like I've I've done several 14ers, Shasta, you know, Whitney all, and all those, right? 4000 more feet though than that. 4500 more feet. like what what does that feel like? Oh dude, uh for me there's just a world of difference between 14 and <laughs> where it gets super real tends to be right around 17500 for me is where okay. it's, I it's like I cross a certain threshold where my body's like, there's not enough here. Really? <laughs> um, and stuff gets a lot harder really quick and keeping, mm-hmm. keeping the body in check, like staying in an aerobic zone becomes much like, cause you, you take even just like a couple of steps too fast. And suddenly it's as if you ran a wind sprint uh, right. and you're like, Oh no. And you know, it's like, you th- you think about how many times you can get your heart rate anaerobic before it just decides, well, I'm not going to even come back down now. I'm just going right. to stay up here, right? Like you go you go run like seven wind sprints and then try to go shuffle jog with your heart rate in zone one. It's like, good luck. Good luck getting right. your heart rate back down into an easy zone after like ripping it up super hard. So it's like suddenly that game gets a lot harder when you're playing, for me, above about 17,500 feet. Um, the game gets much harder. And that's even if the symptoms of hape uh, don't set in. You, you add the the high altitude pulmonary edema stuff into it. And suddenly it's like, I'm sitting down at 150 beats per minute. And it's like, how do you, wow. how do you operate for a 24 hour push when your resting heart rate, when you lay down is 120? Um, wow. So it's, it's like, man. And, and so, yeah, the top of Pico de Orizaba is at eight. The lowest point of Ojos del Salado, 17,190. And the high point is almost 23,000 feet. Oh, so, it's to almost 23,000 Almost 23,000 feet at the top. Oh, shit. I didn't know it was almost 23,000 feet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the hut The hut elevation is basically 17,100, 17,200. Um, and so you're going, <sighs> you're going up from there. Okay. So now my question pivots to what are you're you're obviously a big proponent of heart rate training and so am I. I love that stuff. And the guy that we got to talk about later on after we get off this podcast, Cameron that I was going to try to hook you up with, the triathlete, he's a big big into that as well. I would imagine I really want to know about your training, like leading up to this type of stuff. What does your typical week look like as you are, let's say two months to one month out from this journey. Like, like as you're about to peak, I guess, before you're about to, about to come down, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, so I tend to, I tend to like to mimic, spend a lot of foot time mimicking the steep inclines, like whatever the say vert per mile. So if it's like, oh yeah, the mountain at its steepest is going to be 2000 feet per mile. It's like, all right, let's get out and spend some hours on that, like go find a face of a, a hill just locally that pitches out about the same and do three laps, you know, go get three K or four K avert, just like all in this steep spot. Um, and so I'll do a lot of that because right. That the thing with climbing mountains is it puts your, the range of motion, the tension on your ligaments and, and tendons and joints in a, a very different body position than just like casually jogging along a mostly flat trail. Um, so I try to put a lot of time in where it's like, oh yeah, that Achilles tendon, that Achilles tendon is just getting ripped Stretched. all the way back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, cause it's like, if you don't, you try to come in and suddenly you're cramping up and your, your Achilles tendon is on fire and like it band is hurting, like whatever it is. So I find a big focus is just 
accumulating vert on similar steepness terrain, even if I'm not at elevation. Um, Love it. So I spend a lot of time focused on that. And then also within that, doing getting used to moving through my heart rate zones. Like, what is it like to stay in zone one and zone two? What is it like to push in, how, you know, how long can I push on this terrain and how fast can I push that's in like zone, zone four? You know, like a sustainable, but fast and hard. Um, you know, how slow do I have to go to get my heart rate to drop from like an interval pace back down to a recovery heart rate um, while moving on this terrain? Just how slow is yeah. that? Um, so it's like I run experiments like that within my training. Um, and then, I mean, obviously a huge part is just getting moving time at elevation as well as much as is possible. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be spending a lot of time on Mount Shasta um mm. leading up to leading up to mm -hmm. ojos del Salado. um mm -hmm. just getting up there getting some laps on the mountain maybe even like hauling a sleep kit all the way to the top and sleeping up high um mm. just for the sake of like that acclimatization factor because for me the hape is such a significant a significant part of it um then beyond that it's like just making sure you know just the typical like if i was preparing for a 50 miler like just be mm. ready you know not necessarily like a super competitive razor edge like i want to run my fastest 50 miler um because you know i don't want to come into it with any f injury whatsoever right because sure. we're going to be this one's going to be super committing we're driving like eight hours from the nearest civilization in four by fours um like wow. if anything goes wrong we have to solve it it's it's that kind of situation so i don't want to come in with a nagging injury um because i was like well i wanted to be able to shave 45 minutes off the finish time um, it's like, no, I want to come in with my body feeling eager and ready to go fit, but well rested. Mm -hmm. Um, so just kind of the general process, you know, of accumulating volume and miles and foot time, uh, that I would follow to be ready for say a 50 miler, um, mixed in with the vert, mixed in with the focus mm -hmm. on vert, uh, mixed in with the acclimatization. Um, I guess that's the easiest way I guess I could sum that up is just a lot of focus on simulation type terrain. Um, a lot of focus on that. And then beyond that, it's just like volume foot time. Um, and no, knowing that my, like I can easily keep my nutrition under control, my pacing under right. control to be moving in zone one, zone two all day. Uh, and as long as those boxes are ticked, then it, I, sh I show up and I feel ready for something yeah. like this um yeah that's such a good so i love that it's, it's really cool to peel back the layers so a lot of people you know are you going to do a film on this one as well well yeah we're, we're, we're bringing a guy with us I, it'll probably be a shorter film like 20 20 minute type thing but yeah, yeah we're going to try to do another one yeah because you no, know, you know you see these films you just almost feel like these guys just show up there and they're just they just run it and they're in this great shape and blah 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 blah, blah. but like i love the rocky cut scene of just this montage of training and stuff like that. Like, I think that would be super cool to put in the film or something, like just showing you like, like prior to this whole thing, just like a quick montage or cuts. Cause it's like, there's so much discipline in that. And I, for me, that's like one of the most fun parts is like just having that goal in mind and just knowing that every training run or climb that I do is leading to that overall goal to make me get get there right and get there in in a safe way and healthy and all of that type of stuff and so i i love train i love the training aspect of things and i have to ask you are do you do stuff in the gym as well like do you do strength training and things like that or is it mostly just aerobic zone one two three 
for stuff. In the in the past, it's it was like I avoided the weight room like the plague. I come from I come from very heavy set stock. That's right. Genetics. We talked about yeah. this, didn't we? We yeah. you put on muscle quick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I told you the the college story of the winter where between <laughs> cross country and track, I got sucked into the weight room with some 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 weight room boys. Um, some gym bros and yeah, I came yeah. into the track season with just massive freaking quads. Like I was going to enter a lifting, like a bodybuilding show and the, I'm sitting next to all the scrawny distance runners. The coach is just like, uh, you, you were in the, the right, right spot. Room? I was just like, Oh no. Um, yeah, yeah, so no, yeah. I, I, for the most part avoid the weights, but now that I'm in my mid thirties, like, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, I notice I don't hold on to muscle and build muscle as fast as I used to. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. I'm still like. I'm in my thirties. I'm fine. Like, especially as I, as I sort out this, this health stuff that I'm working on, I'm going to be fine for another five years, but it's like time to start the habit, time to start the habit while my body, uh, can still regenerate well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe, maybe I'll put on a a couple extra pounds of muscle, but I guess I won't mind that at this age. Um, yeah, yeah, won't, (laughs) won't, won't feel bad looking good in front of a mirror. Um, (laughs) but yeah, now, now I've started, um, a couple times a week with some strength training. Got it. Got it. Cool. Yeah. I, I love, I love strength training. I just feel, I just get the grr afterwards, like from strength training that sometimes I don't, sometimes I can get it if I'm on a tempo tempo run or something like that. But if it's a really long run, I kind of just more feel fried <laughs> afterward, you know? So the weight room really gets me, really gets me. Jacked. I, actually I that, like that feeling, feeling you just described is I think the real reason I'm picking it back up. Mm. is I've spent so long now with this journey to 100 FKTs, 100 Peaks of Washington, Rocky Grand Slam, so much time just like in that slog lord mentality, just like right. zone one, two, let's go, baby, just grind it out. doesn't matter if I'm doing, you know, straight up vertical or, you know, throwing yeah. myself off of a snow slope, but it's just always just slog and slog and hours and hours and days right. and days, just maintaining the mindset that keeps you moving forward for an 18 hour day in the mountains, eat a bit, sleep a bit rinse and repeat. Well, usually not, not rinse, just repeat. And it's like, man, I kind of miss like interval training of track days where you're going stride for stride on just an all out effort next to another guy. Like that feeling where you're just like, oh yeah. And you feel him go a half step harder and you're like, oh, I'm matching that. And it's like, then you're a half step and then he's another half step and you're a half. And then pretty soon it's just like, you're sprinting down the home stretch. And you're yeah. just laying it all down. And it's not like you feel pain. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's all the spirit yeah. of competition and just like the feeling of yeah. the momentum and the speed and that energy. It's like, yeah, I, I miss that. I miss that. Like yeah. slogging yeah. is beautiful, but also that spirit of competition and that pushing hard and like yeah. every muscle fiber in your body being recruited at max effort. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I've, I've gotten to where I miss it a little bit. So yeah, that, that's a part of the reason I'm picking it back up. Love it, dude. Yeah, just jacking your heart rate up. I was uh, doing a, so I was doing a little duathlon yesterday, and I was riding my bike, and then I went up and I did a trail run, and then this guy, I had passed him earlier on a trail, and then he came up behind me. I don't know where he came up from, somewhere, but I could hear him breathing, and he was like right behind me, and I was at first my brain's like, oh, I should just like let him pass, and then I'm like, nah, man, because <laughs> I was sit- I was sitting I was sitting in zone two, right, and I'm like. I'm going to jack this up, dude. I'm going to, I'm going to shift down and I'm like, I'm just going to run all out for a minute and just try to dust him, you know? 
and it worked dude it was so cool i was so stoked bro like by the time i got to the top i was like let's go dude so uh yeah totally identify with that so yeah no i love it so i guess you know what are the um i guess deeper themes or messages that you want people to know or kind of get have people get a feeling of when they do watch your journey to infinity film like like what is it that you want them to take away from it when they do watch it and kind of take with them i feel like i think look for the look for the themes of stepping into projects and visions um that are bigger than yourself that that it's worth it to take on inspiring goals that may be impossible for you to finish um mm. i think when we can open up a project you know even if we don't get to finish it if it just serves us for the time we're allowed to follow it like let's say i never make it to antarctica and let's say uh elbrus is in russia uh let's say russia never stops being at war um so i'm not able to finish this project there i mean just leaving it open-ended and that someday maybe i'm a gray-haired old man and some kid comes along who needs needs a vision quest, needs something to go challenge themselves with, and they reach out to me, and I get to help them go actualize this vision that I put on the table, but they might not have ever dreamed it up by themselves. What a cool thing, right? The eternal part of the game, right? That infinite mm -hmm. part of the game, not just the finite part where I wanna get my wins, but the like, what can we put on the table that actually keeps more players in the game contributing? And I think to me, that's something that's like, as I've aged up in the sport, here's me talking like I'm old again. Um, it's become more and more important. Like it's less just about me and my own, my own vision quests, my own records. It's, it's about how can I behave in a way and pursue things in a way that invites and inspires others into the game. Yeah. Um, so that more opens the doors for them too. opens yeah. the doors. Yeah. Like brings them in and then they go become inspiring people that then mm -hmm. bring more people in and, and on and on and on and on. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the infinite process. It's that the spirit of this thing inspires us as human beings for some reason to be a little bit better versions of ourselves, to be stronger and more put together, more capable of managing our emotions, better at resolving partnership issues, um, mm. thinking a little bit grander, believing we can go do more, right? This sport and these activities invite us to be a better version of ourselves. And I want more people inside that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not about me in the long run. Well, it was interesting because you brought up Chad Kellogg and I, I had actually, I, ne I had never heard of Chad until you talked about it in the documentary. And then I looked him up and then sadly he passed away, I believe. Right. But if he didn't do that infinity loop, which opened the door for you, maybe you wouldn't have done it. Right. Like, and so now you're, he opened the door for you and he kind of left a legacy. Right. And now you're leaving a legacy as well. Even if you don't get to the seven summits, you're opening up the doors for the future generations. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's one of the most valuable things is participating in that way that it opens the door for others. Mm -hmm. Um, so look for that in the film. I think that's a really, to me, an important, an important part of the storyline. Um, I mean, look at the, just, I've had a lot of people comment on how wonderfully vulnerable it is and on just like what, it, what a cool group of humans to be able to bring people around you that are willing, right? Like Alden, he went out there and sat for 48 hours on yeah, the south dude. side of the mountain at 14,000 feet alone in a hut to act as the support role and sort of the emergency right. evacuation person if I'd come down with hate really bad. 
for that side of the mountain. So at least there was someone over there, right? Like what an amazing person to have a friend that's just like, no, I can go be at 14,000 feet for 48 hours on my own and I'll be stoked to do it. Um, the, you know, the camera guys, right? Uh, Kevin had to sit on glacier ice at 16,000 feet for hours and Hayden hung out with uh, an altitude headache and nausea at the summit for like four hours to capture Damn. one of the key shots, those cinematic shots that you see in this film that are so amazing. As we came over the top, like they put in suffering to make this film a reality. And then, you know, Nathan being the absolute badass crusher that he is, um, and myself being the haggard old man, barely holding on. Um, like, yeah, it was like, what a cool group of people to be able to know that you can bring together. Like if you're willing to aim up and you're willing to put yourself together and you're willing to go do hard things and pursue it and iterate it, pursue it and iterate it, pursue and iterate that you can be in this place where the, the people you ring up to go have an adventure with are just a bunch of badasses dude um, right and it's like that's a cool place to be and i think that's a fun part of the film as well that you know my dad commented on that it's like what amazing people you have around you and i'm like yeah mm. what amazing people i have the privilege of having around me um mm -hmm. and i think that's a cool part of the film as well to, to just kind of notice um yeah massive shout out to all of them making this storytelling possible yeah one thing you said in the film was you're searching you're kind of this is at the end of it i believe you're kind of searching for a test that you can't pass on the first try and i thought that was really a, a really fascinating quote what does that mean to you what does that quote mean to you oh, searching for a test that i can't pass on the first try i mean i've never been a great student per se i've been a great test taker i think that's yeah. how I, I made it through school quite honestly is like couldn't get myself to get the homework done. But then when it came test time, like I could study in such a way that it's like, okay, cool, go in. I know what I know. I know there's things I don't let's do this and like crush out a good grade. Like what was the, the necessary sort of clutch grade to pass the class. Um, and being able to do that year after year after year and all the way through college, it's just like, well, when am I going to run into the test? I remember like thinking my certification exam for becoming a teacher, like, oh man, I better be super well prepared and study for this. And then just went in like crushed it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, man, I just want to keep searching for something where it's like, I don't get it on the first try. I don't, mm -hmm. I, it's like, you know, it, and it sounds so egoic, so egotistical to, to say such a thing. But I think we all ought to be aiming toward the edges of our limits, right? To settle mm -hmm. short of that, then how much more could have we become? How much more could have we given? How much more could mm -hmm. have we searched for? How many more people would have we been a little bit better for if we would have gone until we hit that limit, until we ran into that test we couldn't pass on the first try or finally ran into the test we couldn't pass on any try because then we've become the person that went out that far to our edges, mm -hmm. to what we practiced, to what we became. And, you know, I, I have talks with, with like dads and stuff. I, 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 the age I am, even though I don't have kids of my own, I'm a teacher. I'm kind of a, a father role to a lot of kids at a high needs school that they don't have positive male role models. And I do get to interact a lot in that sense of being a male role model for them and what that looks like and, and what that sounds like. And one of the things we always talk about when I chat with these dads is, yeah, kids learn more from who you are than from what you say, right? They're going to learn more mm. in how you hold yourself in difficult situations. They're gonna learn more about how you manage your emotions, how you treat people, how you handle failure and setback, 
they'll, they'll hear the words that come out of your mouth regarding it, like whether you're making excuses or letting yourself settle or giving up. But the real thing they're soaking in is the story that you're living. Like, mm -hmm. oh, when, when something like this happens, it's okay to give up or it's okay right. to, you know, behave in a way that you're not proud of. It's okay to get angry at people who inconvenience you, right? There's these patterns they're picking up on. And man, it's like, that's, that's something important to pay attention to for all of us is how do we handle setback? How much do we push ourselves to our upper edges? Cause even if we just look at it, like for, for like having kids someday or something, it's like, well, I don't want to be a mediocre person. Even if I'm willing to let myself settle, even if I'm willing to let, like look myself in the mirror and be disappointed with myself, it's like, I don't want to model that for this young person that's now going to live the rest of their lives with that as their software for interpreting reality. Like that's, that's not what I want to have my legacy be, have my impact be is like, Hmm, here's how you do mediocrity. Right. I, I did the bare minimum to get by and I got by and that's it. And that's all you should aim for. And that's all I have to teach you and model for you. It's like, no, thanks. I want to, I want to aim high. I want to pursue difficult things. I want to keep moving forward and iterating new dreams and facing new struggles. And when life hits me with setbacks and failures, I'm going to model how to walk through that with grace and poise and dignity and hope and optimism. Yeah. So I think, I think that's what that quote kind of gets at is yeah. this idea that we should be searching for our outer limits because that's how we become the people we ought to be. The people that an eight year old us needed us to be, um, right. that some, some little eight year old we be, we meet someday will thrive because they meet us. Um, yeah, I guess it circles back to that same sort of infinite game thinking about life in the sense that it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for a blip. I'm a, I'm a tiny little blip on the radar, but the legacy and impact that I can align myself with, right? It's almost not, it's not about me. It's like, if I can align myself with the wisdom and truth of living and convey that to others so that more live better instead of, you know, living on these models, this software for interpreting reality that lets us settle short of what we should be. Oh, um, yeah. Software. Like I, can, I love the word software. That's what the stories we have are like the, the stories that we're, we soak in, give us the software that we then interpret our reality with. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, we think of storytelling as entertainment now. It's like, no, storytelling is always, always software for understanding your world. When you tell a kid or a person a story, the reason people find the partnership story in, in this journey to infinity meaningful is because it gives them software for like, whoa, okay. Like I've had some some tense situations with partners as well. And like this actually, this is, this is inspiring. Like to see what you worked through and move forward and still accomplish something huge. Okay. Okay. This gives me a lot more belief for what I could do going forward. Right. That's why it has any impact and why it matters. And why, why did I bother to want to have a film crew in the first place? Wasn't to, just for a, well, I want to show some cool clips of the mountain. It was all along. It was like, well, what is the story going to be that's going to matter? It's yeah. going to give people a way of interpreting their world a little bit better. Um, yeah. You know, as opposed to our hero movies now where it's like bad guy does bad thing. Good guy kills all bad guys. It's like, that's not a very useful software for, for <laughs> real life. Right. Um, 
you know, it's not, it doesn't help us in the complexities of life. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's definitely, there was some intentionality and I even had some awareness when we were inside the moment that it's like, Oh, this is, this is the story that matters. Like, mm -hmm. right. What is, what is happening right now? Yeah. Right. Is what matters about this whole endeavor. Like even being here on this mountain, yeah. like the fact that this story gets to be told mm -hmm. matters. Yeah, I, dude, that's so interesting because as a as a filmmaker myself now, like I I almost look at when bad things or tension things tension causing things happen in any of my through hikes or or objectives. I'm like a better way for me to reframe that if I'm getting down on it is this is going to be a good story. What a, you know, most of my highest engaged videos are when I'm going through some shit and everybody's commenting on it. It's never when everything goes great. It's always when and so. In the moment, it's hard to think, oh, this is going to make a great story at least, you know, but that is always in the back of my mind. And it does help me kind of reframe it a little bit. So it must have been kind of what, what you're talking about kind of happened with you as well um, in that nighttime escapade. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, just being keenly aware that it's like, yeah, uh, we are, t we are setting out part of the mission here is to tell a story. Um, and yeah, what will that story be? Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, you know, again, with it being open-ended for what Nathan could have done there, it was like, you know, I, and I told him this, like, when I brought him along, I thought, I kind of thought that with where he was at and how strong he was, like, he was just absolutely killing it leading up to this trip, just on a whole different level from where I'd seen him previous. And I was just like, ooh, this might happen. Like this might be a tension that breaks out. Cause like, I, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably intelligent and I've been around the right. block more than once. It's like, I could end up suffering from hate because I've gotten it before and it slows me down and he might be absolutely unaffected by elevation. He might be a high responder where he adapts super fast and everything is fine. And he's in fantastic shape. And so like my man, my mind ran through the scenario where he wants to leave me. He wants to ditch. And I like weighed the question. It was like, you know, and I told him this, I said, I kind of thought this is who you would be. This would be your character, like what you would choose. Like when I made the like question myself, like, do I bring Nathan on this trip? Is he the right fit? Like, do I invite him? Do I extend the invitation? And I thought, yeah, if that moment comes, he'll make, he'll make the decision for the team. Like he'll be there for me or if things get serious and I need help. Um, mm -hmm. He'll make the call to like, let go of the effort and get me off the mountain if that, if that, if push came to shove. Um, and so it was really cool to like look him in the eye after the whole thing was done and shake his hand and be like, yeah, you had the character I thought you'd have. Nice uh, dude. And just be like, dude, good for you, man. Good for you. Awesome dude. Well, Jason, you are, you are such a deep thinker. I love having you on the podcast. These hours go by so quickly. Every time that I talk to you, it's already been an hour again. And I, I just, I think everybody that listens to the podcast that you do, even not just on my podcast, but I think that they always come away with some kind of nugget that they also take with them into the backcountry on their next upcoming adventures. Cause I just think that you have a, a very different way of looking at things that I think more people would love to have, but you articulate it so well that then they kind of take it as their own. So I, I really appreciate you always doing that. Where can people catch up with you at? Where can they watch the film? And it looked like you might have a showing somewhere on the film. It looked like you did that on your Instagram notes. You were asking people where you uh, Yeah, to well, a I'm, I am putting together a few showings. Nathan is as well. Nathan's in Salt Lake City. He's trying to put together a showing there right now. Um, so definitely stay tuned to his social media, my social media for some postings there. If you are in 
you know, a city, whether it's in the Pacific Northwest, Denver, wherever, and you like know somebody, you're like, oh, this is the perfect venue. We've got the right crew. Like, come show it. Give us a talk. Do a Q and A. Um, I'm stoked to do that. Like, obviously, the reason I'm on this podcast is because I love communicating deep ideas and the deeper meaning behind why we do what we do uh, with groups of people. Uh, yeah, over a decade of teaching has done that to me. I can't help it. It's right. what I love. It's it's what I find value and meaning in the world with. So please, if you want to invite me into your space, your town, your club, uh, please reach out on social media. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Jason Hardrath. Um, you can also reach out uh, via email on my website, jasonhardrath.com. Um, if you're old school like that and yeah, those are, those are two great ways. I'm on Facebook as well. Um, I respond on there less frequently, but I mean, I check it at least once a week, I think. Um, so yeah, those would be the ways to get a hold of me. I I'm work on organizing some showings, but would love, I mean, it's just so much better when there's a crew that already on the ground there that knows how things work. And it's like, we want you here. It's way easier than just like, okay, I'm going to try to find all the right people myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely open invitation to anybody listening to extend that invitation back to me, I guess. Um, yeah. So yeah, check the film out on YouTube. If you haven't, uh, on Kevin Issa's channel, the link will be in the description and, uh, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep crushing. Perfect. <laughs> and I will link all of that down in the show notes. And for everybody listening, if, if you could go ahead, leave a five-star rating on Spotify, that'd be great for this episode. Thank you, everybody.